0: I have to say there are many things I love about our church, but one of the things that I love the most is that it's a place where people are built up, where people are edified. I love that. In some places, it's sad to say, when somebody stumbles, when somebody sins, when they have a problem in their life, it becomes public and people know about it. There are some places, sadly to say, that that shoot their wounded. Do you know what that means, to shoot your wounded? That instead of helping your wounded, you just kind of put them out of their misery. And that ought not be how God's people treat one another. And I love that our church takes care of people. God's allowed us to see people restored that have gone through seasons like that. And that's how it really ought to be in every church. And it takes everyone in the church to have that kind of church. And so this evening, as we continue in our sermon series on making a difference, and remember, that's connected with our theme for the year, that if we want to see something different in our lives, we're going to have to do something different. If you want a different harvest, you've got to plant different seed. And so if we want a difference in our walk with God, or in our family lives, in our church life, or in our community, we're going to have to do things differently. People need encouragement. People need encouragement, but they mostly just get criticism. Isn't that the truth? From family, from work, from co-workers, from teachers, from friends. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever been around a person where nothing you do is ever good enough? I don't know if you've had a boss like that, or a dad like that, or a mom like that. Some of the kids, don't raise your hands, okay? I'm just telling you right now, don't do that. They're all raising their hands. That's bad. They're all going to get in trouble. It's sad to be like that. The church should be one of the places where people get edified, where they get built up. And it's intentional, right? It's an intentional thing where we seek to build people up. And so, do you build people up? Do you seek to edify people? Or are you one of those people where you just criticize? You just criticize. I have to say that when people come to me as a pastor... And they say something, something is wrong and it needs to be looked at. It ought to be cared for. Something ought not be done the way it's done. If that person has been an encourager of me, I try and take care of that as much as I can. But if it's just another piece of criticism from someone that only criticizes, I've got to tell you, I'm not as encouraged to take care of it right away. You know the people that are for you, and you know the people that aren't for you. And so when somebody is for you, And they encourage you. It's like a breath of fresh air. It really is. It's it's very encouraging. So how can we keep our church a place where people are edified? When we attend God's house, do you feel beat up or built up? And we're seeking to build people up. What is that? How do we do it? What does it take? Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, we read this in the word of God. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray together. Father, in this hour, may you open your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look to God's word tonight, we read these words, the inspired word of God, the human penman being the Apostle Paul writing to these folks that were in Ephesus, and he was talking with them about how he wants the church to be unified, that God, we are all in one church, one baptism, one spirit, and he emphasizes that strongly. And then he talks a little bit about how we're, we're not all the same, but we ought to have unity. And God gives certain men to the church in order to see a certain work happen. We we find in verse number 11, four different groups of men, historically speaking, that God has given to the church. In verse number 11, it says, and he, meaning the Lord Jesus, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Notice those, those four different groups there. He talks about apostles. He talks about prophets. He talks about evangelists and pastors and teachers. Right? That last one is, is one group together. And so God desires to give local churches these people so that they can carry on the work of God. Now, we know that the role of the apostle has been fulfilled. Back in the first century, God chose certain people that had actually walked with the Lord Jesus. In fact, once Judas died, he took his own life. Once that happened, the 12 was down to 11, and they needed to find a 12th. And so they gathered together before Pentecost happened and they tried to decide who's going to take that place. And one of the requirements was that they had to have walked earthly, or walked during Jesus' earthly life and ministry with the Lord. Uh, We can see that in the book of Acts, if you'll turn over there, in Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, in verse number 21. In Acts chapter 1, in verse number 21. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that, Jesus, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day when he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. So what was the requirement here? These apostles, they had to have been with the Lord Jesus from the beginning of his ministry, from the time that he was with John and his baptism, all the way until the ascension. Nobody today fulfills that requirement, right? So apostles are not a thing today. We all ought to have that spirit, that sent out desire to tell people about the Lord Jesus. That's what the apostles did. And we ought to have that as well. But that role of apostle is no longer something that is given out today. But we also see that there are prophets. Now, I want you to know these are divinely inspired preachers. Before the Bible was completed, if you think about during the time of the book of Acts, how did they know what God's word was? How did they understand what it was that God had for them? God used these men as they brought forth the word of God. And remember, prophets, it's not only about foretelling. It's also about forthtelling. It's about them giving forth what God says, them speaking on the behalf of God. So he, he gave them preachers. And we know that since the word of God is, is complete and we have the word of God now, no one is giving new prophecy. No one is adding anything to the word of God. No one's taking anything away from the word of God. But you have the fourth telling. You also have evangelists who would take the good news and carry them out to different places. We use the term evangelist today to talk about people that would go from church to church and and set up meetings and perhaps have a great effort to get people saved. I think, though, that the word evangelist here would be very similar to our modern-day missionaries that would go and carry the gospel to a location where there isn't a local church. They preach the gospel, see people saved, baptized, and folks organized into a local church. And then you have pastors and teachers, the idea of guarding or caring for the flock of God and then also feeding them giving them what it is that God wants them to have inside of a local church. And so these people right here, these people are actually gifts from God to the church. So I know it sounds a little self-serving. I'm like, did you know that your pastor is a gift from God? I know my wife believes that. She didn't even say amen. That kind of hurts. No, I know that my wife believes that, But in all honesty, it is true. And you were, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if there was a time when by faith you trusted him as Savior, God wants you to have a pastor. God wants you to have a pastor. And the place that you get a pastor is in a local church. And so it's very important that if, if God somehow moves you someday to someplace else that you do not sit out of church, that you find yourself a Bible-preaching church and that you get wholeheartedly involved because God has a work that he wants to do in your life and that is done through the local church. And one of the ways that he does that is by giving you a pastor. I have been so helped by the pastors in my life. I hope you have too. I hope that I've been a help to you. If not, I hope someday to be a help to you. I pray to be and I strive to be and I study to be. But I can think about the men that took me under their wing when I knew very little of God's word and they taught me. That they were patient with me. Pastor Jenkins and Pastor Wolven and Dr. Keene and uh, Pastor Sexton. These people took a lot of time and painstaking time with me and I have been very helped by them. Very helped by them and so glad that God gave them to me. And it talks, talks to us here about why God gave the church these people. Back in Ephesians, if you'd look there with me, in Ephesians Four again, it says four in verse number 12, for, this is the reason why he gives them for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Three things here. God desires us to become mature Christians. When you see the idea of the perfecting of the saints, you might get a little bit intimidated by thinking I could never be perfect. That's not the kind of perfect we're talking about. We're talking about the idea of something being complete. If you've ever been to a fancy restaurant, it's not just about how the food tastes, but also how it looks. And they go to great lengths when they're plating the meals to put everything just so, so it looks really fancy. And they put that last little sprig of whatever that stuff you're not actually supposed to eat on the plate. And they might say, perfect. And then they'd send it out. What does that mean? It's complete. It's done. It's ready. God desires for us to be mature believers. He has that perfecting work of the saints Again, don't let the word saint confuse you. The idea of a saint is it's someone who belongs to God. It's one of God's people. It's not some special role or office or someone confirmed to be a saint. It's for everybody, and God wants every believer to be mature in the faith. One thing that we know about uh, children that are young that are not yet mature is that if they're healthy, they grow towards maturity, right? As long as nothing's wrong, that's the outcome. In the same way, when someone comes to know Christ as Savior, God desires for them to become mature in the faith. One of the the things that always grieved me was to see somebody who came to know Christ through the efforts of a Bible-preaching church, but they were never followed up with, they were never discipled, they never got plugged in, and a cult comes along, and they don't know much about Jesus other than they believe in him, and they start talking. And they say, oh, we're from the the Church of uh, Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. And they're like, oh, well, we like Jesus Christ. And they say, come on in. And they start talking. And before you know it, they've been pulled away. That, That was never God's desire for babes to be left uncared for. He wanted them to be brought up. That's one of the works of the church. It's one of the edifying, the building up works that God does. He wants to see that happen. Also for the work of the ministry, right? Ministry is work. Ministry is work. That is serving, that is helping, that is all of the efforts that the church does in order to help show the love of Christ in taking care of people's needs. That's what the local church is supposed to be engaged in. And if you ever had any question about whether or not a local church should be engaged in something, you ask yourself the question, would the Lord Jesus be engaged in this? Would he be involved in this? If he was here bodily with us, would he be doing those things, or would he not be? It's a great way to tell whether or not you should be involved in something. And again, that work takes place through the local church, meaning that if you get involved in the local church, you use your gifts that God gives you, the work gets done, and you grow, and you become edified. You become built up. And lastly, it calls it right out and says the edifying of the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? It's the church. It's not this building, it's the people. This building could burn to the ground in Columbia Road Baptist Church, would still exist as long as the people exist. And he's saying here, That is what he desires to see happen, is that people get built up. God wants that. God wants people built up. God is doing a great work. And look in Philippians 1.6, would you? In Philippians 1.6. It says in Philippians 1.6 being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. something that God wants for all of us. In fact, as we go back to our passage in Ephesians chapter 4, we continue on reading. It says in verse 13, till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So God is doing this work with the end goal, with the target that all of us, would grow this way. Not just some of us, but all of us. God does not want anybody in the local church to be left behind. He wants everybody to grow. Now, we don't all grow at the same pace. Some of that is how God is working in our lives. Some of that is how we apply ourselves. right? One of the most frustrating things um, is when you're, you're trying to exercise and put on muscle and get healthy and all of that, and nothing happens as much as you work because you're not eating the right food. You're going through all the energy and all of the effort, but you're, you're not, you're not eating the right foods and the right foods need to be a part of what you're, you're taking in. And so if you don't do that, you'll find yourself lacking in the same way. People in a local church who don't partake of all that God has for them in the local church them being ministered unto, them ministering to other people, the preaching, the teaching of the Word of God, the Sunday school, uh, being involved in the different activities, whether it's our seniors' luncheon, Rainbow Fellowship, whether it's uh, door-to-door visitation, whether it's serving with Nehemiah's network, all the different opportunities. If we don't take advantage of those things and we wonder, why haven't we grown? Well, the answer is we haven't been putting the right things in. They're there for us, but if we don't do that, we become unhealthy. There, there used to be a disease called scurvy. Anybody know, ever heard of the disease called scurvy, right? What do you immediately think of when you think of scurvy? Pirates. Somebody said pirates, right? Because there's something that they did not get with the food that would be uh, travel safe on boats. And without that, they became sick. And in many ways, some people lag behind in the church because they don't take all of their spiritual vitamins. So get everything that God has for you and be in God's house. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The unity of the faith. Here, this idea of oneness comes again in unity. A church that is building people up, a church that is Christ-like, a church that is accomplishing its purpose, has unity. And you say, what is unity? It is oneness. It's where we can all agree on something. And you say, how, how do we all agree? We're, we're different people, aren't we? We have different backgrounds, we have different likes, we have different dislikes. Is it, what, is it what the pastor says? Is that where we find unity? The pastor says this, so we all have to line up with what the pastor says? Is it, is it um, with certain influential families in the church, we all have to line up with what they say? No, it says the unity of the faith. All that we believe, all that we understand about God from his word, that's where we find unity, when we unify around God's word and what he says. If a church isn't unified, it can't be building people up. And you know what? I love the spirit that God has given our church. I really do. I have heard horror stories in other places where the church just, they, the people can never get along. The deacons are fighting with the pastor. The deacons are fighting with each other. They're fighting with the nursery director. They're fighting with this person. And, and nobody can, can decide on anything. And they're always at, I am so glad that we have not had that. Praise God for that. That is a blessing. If you've never been in any other church, you may not know that that kind of nonsense goes on, but unfortunately it does. And that is not a fun church to attend. That is not an edifying place. So he wants us to come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. You and I need to know more about Jesus. There's that song More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness, see. More of his love who died for me. That is what we need. We need more about Jesus Christ. Again, you can't outsource that. You, can't, you say, well, that's the, for the pastors. The pastors, they, they study that. They're pastors and teachers. That's their job. I'm telling you, there's nothing like studying the word of God for yourself. There's nothing like having family Bible time in your home if you have other people in your home. That is one of the greatest things that you can be involved in. Not, not something that we want to outsource. And that's God's desire that the saints would be perfected, that the work of the ministry would be done, that we would be edified so that, so that as we read here in verse number 13, we have unity and we have a knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's, that's one big phrase. What is that talking about? Did you ever have your parents, when you were growing up, put you against the wall and they took a pencil and they, they put a mark over your head against the wall and this is how tall you are this year. This is how tall Bill was when he was seven years old. And then another year perhaps you go and you stand next to that same place and they put a mark on the wall and say, this is, this is how tall you were when you were eight years old and, and then the siblings all have their own. Any of you do that? Any of you ever see anything like that where you kind of measure the height as somebody gets older? Well, I want you to imagine that the children looking up to, well, how tall is Daddy? You know, how tall is Daddy? We're down here, how tall? And Daddy goes up against the wall, and and Mom draws the the line across the top of his head and seeing them like, wow, I hope I can be that tall someday. I hope I can grow up to that measure so that I I can be like Him. That is what it ought to be like when we look at the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It is like, look at where Jesus measures up. That's the goal. The goal is Christ-likeness. For every believer, for every church, what, what makes a believer a great believer? If he or she is like Jesus Christ. What makes a church a great church? Is it its facilities? Is it the number of programs that it offers? Is it the offering and how much comes in? No, the measure of the greatness of a church is its likeness to Jesus Christ. That's how you know what a great church is. Do they think, speak, and act like the Lord Jesus does. And so that's what God is working for here, is that we might all be made like Christ. That's a process of us edifying and building up one another. That was never meant to be done by yourself. That was meant to be done inside of the church as we all help one another move forward. This is something we pursue on our own. He says in verse number 14 that henceforth we be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. He goes back to the idea of mature versus immature. He says that there are immature believers that perhaps in the church in Ephesus were were dealing with this, that they kept getting pulled away by bad teaching. They kept getting pulled away by new teaching. They hear some new thing and they run after it and they get all excited about it, but they they... They bounce back and forth instead of standing where God stands. That, that still happens today. That still happens. There's no lack of uh, things on the radio, podcasts, sermons that you can listen to uh, over the Internet. There's no lack of books. It, it, there are actually still bookstores out there, and you can go into them, and they usually have Christian sections. And, and the, sad to say, a lot of the stuff that you might pull off of our local Barnes & Noble or Books A Million, a lot of that stuff is going to have doctrine that we would not consider to be biblical that we would not not find in the Word of God, and you can get pulled off by that. I remember a very promising young man, a very promising young man when I was teaching back down in Bible college, and he had such a heart for God, such a heart for missions, and he found an author that had a really wonderful high view of God and a great desire to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. But in other areas of his life, Other areas, I should say, of his ministry and teaching, this author that this young man found was doctrinally wrong. But because he loved what he had to say about the glory of God and because he loved what he had to say about missions, he just bought into it hook, line, and sinker. And so he started reading all of his books and adopting everything that the man said. And before you know it, he was off into doctrinal error. And I think that he meant well, but he was not mature enough in order to identify that there's there's some bones in this that need to be picked out. And so he was tossed around back and forth and back and forth. And, and I, don't, I don't think that uh, he, is, he is in ministry this day, and that's grieving. There's an there's a instability that goes with that, to and fro, right? Can you uh, think of the beach? The waves come in, and the waves go out. And the waves come in, and the waves go And they never really stop. Sometimes they're here, sometimes they're there. That's what an immature believer looks like. They get bounced around by every doctrine, every good thing. And he says, you have to be careful of that. You have to be careful of that if we're going to have the kind of church that edifies. It says that by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. There are people who would seek to use the church to make merchandise of people. In other words, to use them in order to make money off of them. And they don't care if what they say is true or not. They just want to have the biggest, most lucrative following that they possibly can. And you've seen some of this stuff. And if you turn on the television, sometimes you'll find a good preacher. But more often than not, you have somebody who's doing some charlatan work. And if you give them $49.95 and five payments of it, they'll send you some prayer towel. And it's been anointed with holy water so that you can help contribute to them buying a $50 million private jet. Right? It's just nonsense. And they're they're willing to do this. And so someone needs to have the maturity to look at that and say, we're not going to do that. We need the truth. And that's what verse 15 says. But speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. That is the ground and the pillar of the truth. That's what the church is. Would you look in um, 1 Timothy 3 for me? We see that phrase used. The ground and pillar of the truth. 1 Timothy 3 and verse number 5. Here the Apostle Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, telling him how he ought to continue as a pastor where he's at. It says in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Pillars are the things that hold up the roof. The ground or the foundation is the thing that holds up the pillar. The church is the thing that, that holds forth the truth in our society. It needs to have the foundation, it needs to have the pillars, and then you can imagine the roof as the truth. This is what we ought to be doing. And so how do we combat the immaturity that leads to instability in someone that, that goes back and forth? Well, you speak the truth to them, but you do it in a certain way. You do it in love that's part of edifying is speaking the truth in love. Did you know that you can speak the truth and have it not be in love? You ever had someone speak the truth to you, but it wasn't in love? My brother, I love my brother, but I'm so glad that he decided to become a pharmacist instead of an MD because he has no bedside manner. You know, he, he, he now deals with people on the phone and he's a specialty pharmacist in Cleveland Clinic and all this stuff. And And I'm glad for him, but he doesn't really have, he was just, he just called, he's, he would just be like, if you keep eating that, you're going to get fat. He's like, that is killing. I mean, he didn't say, oh, well, we need to think about changing your diet. We need to think. He just did not have that. He was very um, plain talk is easily understood type of guy. And so he, he would not have been the most comforting doctor in the world for you to have. You can speak the truth, but you can do it in such a way where it makes people hate the truth instead of listen to the truth. And so when you, in a church, have somebody that is tossed to and fro, they need to be corrected with the truth, but they need to do it in love. What does it mean to do it in love? That has to do with the motivation for doing it. That has to do with how you tell the truth to somebody and the tone that you might use when you do it. There's a way to speak the truth in pride, and it's ugly. There's a way to speak the truth in hate, and it's ugly. Pride is... Lifting yourself up and thinking about how good we are when I speak the truth like well I would never do that because the bible says this and so you ought never do this Or god forbid we almost sound happy that people are reprobates We almost sound happy that people are on their way to hell because they've rejected god and have chosen to engage themselves in a type of lifestyle Don't ever sound gleeful when people that would be enemies of god and are enemies of god and we declare that they're lost and on their way to a devil's hell, we ought never be happy about that. That grieves the heart of God, and it ought to grieve us. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God, who will have all men to be saved, the Bible says, he has a great desire for that. And if we rejoice, he says, over our enemies, when God judges our enemies, he'll take his hand of judgment off of them. Because he doesn't want us to have that spirit. That's not the spirit of Christ. And so when we speak the truth, we have to do it in love. And it changes the tone. It changes the time when we speak with somebody because what are we seeking? Their good, their edification, their restoration. By God's grace, he's given us the ministry here of Restore Biblical Counseling. And we've seen a lot of people, and if you're not familiar with biblical counseling, it's intensive discipleship, if you're familiar with that term. And so we've seen a lot of people's lives helped and changed, and we praise God for that. And something that I learned from Pastor Steve and those that work with that is that the goal is always restoration. If you're in conflict, if somebody's wrong, if they need to be corrected, it's always to restore them, never to just prove that we're right, never to just put them in their place. There's always a better motive, because with God, it's always to restore. It's always to restore, and so we we adopt that. It says as we continue on back in our passage in Ephesians. But speaking the truth in love, so we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So what does this growth look like as we're edified? We become closer to Jesus, and we become more like Jesus, that we grow up into him. Is your faith a growing faith? Is your relationship with God a growing relationship? Are you closer to God now than you were last year at this time? We ought to have that. Now, I understand we have dry seasons. We have trying seasons. It feels like we can't find God. It feels like we pray and our prayers don't get answered. We read the word of God and it's hard. Those are the seasons when we trust the promises of God and we carry through even though the feelings aren't there. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, do you know him more? Do you love him more? Are you more committed to him? Do you have greater faith in his promises this year than we did last year? We ought to be growing. You say, when do we stop? When he calls us home. I and Pastor Steve says this, I love it. I am not yet, I am not yet like Jesus Christ, which means I have growing to do. And that's true. I have to change. I have to become how many of you love change? Any of you love change? I didn't mind it so much when I was 20. I'm like, so what if I have to move every year? Not a big deal. I hope I never have to move again. I hope I never have. You know, the the change in location, God can do whatever he wants to with that. But you get to a point where you're not great with change, but we all need to grow, and growing means change, to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that Christ is the head of the church. In verse 16, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted, By that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. What? When everybody in a church is in their place, doing what God made them to do, serving in their area of giftedness, we will find the church edifying itself. We will find the church building up itself. That that's what that means. That when we are all fitly, we are all appropriately in our places, the whole body, everybody in the church, and all of the parts of the church supplying that which they they have been gifted to supply, we will find that there's an effectual working, a work that produces change according to every part as it participates, and it will increase the body, and it will become built up and stronger. That's what that means. And everybody in their place doing what God made them to do will actually cause the body to build itself up. That's what he's talking about when we talk about edifying one another. So what are, what are the takeaways from this? Well, if you're in the habits of writing things down, note, note these three things. First of all, our first application, commit to edify people at church. Commit to edify people at church. It may be better said this way, now that I'm thinking about it, commit to edify people in the church. This isn't just something that happens during church services. This ought to be something that happens all the time. But God has designed the church to edify itself. It ought to be a place of encouragement. And this happens when each member wholeheartedly serves in his or her area of giftedness. So are you employed in the work of God? One of my spiritual fathers said, there ought to be no unemployment in God's work. And I think that that's that's a good statement. I like that. I like that. Are you in your area of giftedness? Are you serving in the way that God has made you to serve? I have served in many different places in churches, sometimes in places where I was not gifted because they just needed somebody. I know how that works, right? You may be in that place. But when we all are in the place serving in the way that God has made us to serve, and you know what you find? You won't end up in the place where you're not gifted if everybody jumps in. If everybody's involved, then there are no gaps. There are no gaps. And so when you serve in your area of giftedness, you will find that you are more, most satisfied and that there's more fruit. And so will you commit to build up the people of God? I want you to think about this idea of every part together edifying one another. Let's imagine that a young family with children comes to church. If everybody is doing their part, they become built up. Let, let's walk through this. So they, they start driving into the building... And they notice that the grass is cut, that the weeds are pulled. They, they come pull out into the parking lot, and they, they notice that it's, it's well cared for and well lit. And so the people that are cutting the the grass, the people that are taking care of the outside of the building, they notice that these people care about this place. I feel like our family might be welcomed here. They come in and the place is broken down and dilapidated. looks a little bit scary, like the people don't care about what they're doing. Grass is overgrown. It's up to your knees. And they think about, I don't know what's going on in this place. Then they walk inside the building. They walk inside the building and they're greeted by somebody, hopefully, they're greeted by somebody, maybe one of our greeters or an usher helps them to their seat, something along those lines. Uh, but they walk in the building and they see that it's clean. Why is it clean? Because those that are cleaning the building are in their place contributing what it is that they contribute, and now they feel I could probably put my kids in the nursery here and then the nursery workers are there and they're on time and they're there when they're supposed to be according to their rotation and they see them in there and they're here early enough for them to put the kids into the nursery and so now the the family is able to have the kids get what they need but then the parents also get to watch and listen to the uninterrupted preaching of God's word without having their children crawling all over them and, and crying throughout the church service, right? If the Sunday school teachers are in their place, Then they're there for them on a Sunday morning when they come in so that young family, kids included, can all find friends and Christ-centered discussion and a Bible lesson. They they come in here, and of course the pastor's a part of that, but also so are the people that run the microphones and that make sure that the scriptures are up on the screen. So are the people that vacuumed this room to make sure that it, it looked clean. So are the people that sang the music in order to prepare our hearts to receive what God has for us. So are the people that follow up with those that come, encouraging them to take their next step in faith, whatever that is. It takes everybody. It takes everybody all contributing. There's a lot of people in all of those different areas that make all of that work. And that's just one example. That's just one example. Not to mention the people that give so that the lights can be on, the people that keep the the AC running, the people that that fix the, the problems in the bathrooms when they come up, All of these people have a part, and when they all contribute, it creates something fitly joined together and edifying one another. So commit to edify people at church. The second thing is make Christ-likeness your goal for life. Make Christ-likeness your goal for life. The measure of a man or a woman is Christ-likeness. How much are they like the Lord Jesus and how they think and how they speak and how they act? In the same way, the measure of a church is in its Christ-likeness. How much do those people act and speak and think like the Lord Jesus? Do you have, do we have the mind of Christ? Do we think like he thinks? Do we have the heart of Christ? Do we love the things that he loves? Do we put the priority where he does? Are our words like his? Are we full of grace and truth? Do we act like him, seeking to be the hands to the body of Christ and helping those that are hurting? We have to determine to seek after that, and the danger is some lesser thing is our goal in life. Maybe not a bad thing, but some lesser thing to distract us, to derail us, and it's very easy. I need to climb to some pinnacle of my career in order to be successful. Friend, If it's better to be a, a doorman and the house of the Lord, and the dwell in the tents of the wicked. You can climb all the way up to the highest position and still not succeed. Not succeed in God's eyes. You know what I want? What I hope everybody wants is that when you step into eternity, you hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what it means to be successful. Not what we've accomplished or what we've gathered together. It's what we've done with what we've been given. God judges us on faithfulness. And so don't allow yourself to be distracted with what everyone says out there is what you ought to make the goal for your life. It ought to be Christ-likeness. Many things will come along with Christ-likeness. You say, I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to to approve of me. Well, first of all, that's never going to happen. But I promise you this, if you make Christ your goal, he'll make even your enemies to be at peace with you. Make, you say, I want to amass wealth so that my family's safe and we're comfortable. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Speaking about the needs of life. We find that when likeness is the goal for our life, all of the right things follow. But if we make those secondary things the goal, then we've missed the goal. Make likeness your goal for life. And then finally, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. The world is drowning in information, but they're starving for truth. You can pull out your phone and you can look up anything you want to. You say, I want to know the migration patterns of blue whales. And you could find that out right now. You could find, you probably get a map and maybe a little video about it. You could find anything you want to. And it's just, it's just anything good or bad. It's just a tap away. It's just a click away. The world has plenty of information, but they're starving for truth. The church, the people in the church, must speak truth. We must speak the truth to ourselves. We must speak the truth to one another. We must speak the truth out into the community, but we have to make sure that we do it in love. We mentioned before that Jesus was full of grace and truth. You say, well, telling the truth not in love is better than not telling it at all. Well, I'm not entirely sure about that. Think about it like this. Uh, You've got medicine that you're supposed to take. You say, well, taking it any old way is better than than not taking it all. Taking it any old way where you, you know, don't pay any attention to how many times a day you're supposed to take it or how much you take it. You're like, ah, well, something's better than nothing. Maybe not. We ought to be very careful with that. When we speak the truth in love, we do this in a way to edify and to help, instead of to hurt or to criticize. How do you know if you're speaking the truth in love? What's your motivation? That's really what it comes down to. Is that person annoying you? Is what they're doing wrong? Do they need to know what's right because you do it right and they need to line up with your way? That's speaking the truth in pride. They're wrong and they're against God and they hate everything that's righteous and they call evil good and good evil and and we we need to tell those people. Well, it's probably speaking it in hate. But Jesus would come along the worst sinners and he would tell them the truth that they needed to repent of their sin. The woman taken in adultery, right in the act of it, dragged out into the street, thrown down before him, He defends her from the mob that would want to commit mob justice and kill her. And he said, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, no man, Lord. And he says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. That's the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need to have. Full of grace and truth. The motivation, the timing, the tone when we speak with somebody. All of those things, all of those things together mean that we're speaking the truth in love. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment? In our church, we have what we call a time of invitation where we invite you to act on what it is that God has spoken to you about. And I don't know what God has spoken to you about. Perhaps you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Savior. I'm not asking if you're a member of a church, if you've been baptized, christened, confirmed, any of those things, catechized. Was there ever a time when you, by faith, believing that the Lord Jesus, God, who became a man without ceasing to be God, lived a sinless life, died for your sins, was buried, and rose from the grave? Have you ever prayed and asked him to forgive your sins and be your Savior? If that has never been a part of your relationship with God then you really don't have a relationship with God. Jesus says that no man comes unto the Father except by him. And so if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I want to encourage you in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. I'm going to be down here at the head of this aisle. You can slip out of your seat and let me know and say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. And someone will take you aside privately, a gentleman with a gentleman, a lady with a lady, and show you from God's word how you can know for sure that your sins are forgiven. But perhaps you're here tonight and you need encouragement. You need encouragement. You've been, you've been beat up enough and now you need to be built up. I believe you've come to the right place for that. On the other side of that, believer, are you building people up or beating people up? You say, well, I'm not punching anybody. No, but what are your words like? Is there gossip? Is there bitterness? Instead of solving problems and making them smaller, are you making the problems worse? Whether it's in the life of your family or of your church, perhaps at work, at school, maybe God has gotten a hold of you and and you're going to purpose that in the power of Christ to become someone that edifies, that builds people up. My children are so sick of hearing me say that they need to use their words to build up, not tear down. Maybe God's gotten a hold of your heart about that tonight. Maybe you've never followed the Lord in believers' baptism or God is moving in your heart to put your life and influence in this church as a member. Whatever it is that God has spoken to you, would you say yes to him tonight? Father, we thank you that you have so gifted our church and every local Bible-believing church with all that we need to build one another up. Let us not miss out on this work. Let us not let it go dim and dark, but to continue to hold forth this spirit of Christ and speaking the truth in love. Help us to be like you. We live in such a hard world, Lord, and we we don't always know how to do this. But I pray you'd help us. Be glorified now in how your children say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, shall we, as we...